are live, the high stakes podcast where we talk about real big real estate deals. I'm Brandon Locascio, the host, and I am pleasured to be joined today by Aaron Johnson, fund manager, real estate developer, family man, future movie star, maybe current movie star. We'll see. Aaron, how you doing today? Good, man. How you doing? Thanks for having me on, dude. I'm excited. I, I think this is your first podcast, so I feel super privileged that I get to be the guy that gets to, you know, pop your cherry. Dude, you're hella popping my cherry right now. Like, I've been on a couple of podcasts, inter you know, people interviewing me, j decided to start this new podcast series, and I said, who can I interview that would be entertaining, that does high-stake deals, and that I'd have a lot of fun with? And I was like, dude, I, it's got to be Aaron Johnson. Like, if it's not Aaron Johnson, I'm sorry, I'm not starting. And that was it. Dude, and the funny thing is, and I appreciate that, but you and I have such crazy chemistry. We always have. Like, like, like no matter what our history has ever been in life, you and I have some of the best chemistry I've ever had with anybody. And you and I can joke and have a good time. And, you know, Dude, and we, and we can fight too. I mean, that's the funny thing, kind of like brothers or, or, or good friends, you know, we've, we've had our tips. I mean, you know, we'll get into that, but we, you know, we, we can go at it once in a I while. Remember and at one point getting called a <laughs> face. So you know, I don't know if we need to bleep that out, but just so you know, that's yeah, kind of listen. Really set the precedence for how it goes at times. You know, sometimes a C face got to come out, you know, it's just how it's got to go down. So Oh man, that's funny. Well, listen, um, where, where are you coming to us today from? I'm living in Park City, uh, Utah right now. We were living in New York prior to this and COVID hit and uh, we were going to make our way to LA and uh, you know, we develop here and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but, but I develop in Park City and it, for whatever reason, you know, kind of the climate with everything, we just ended up staying in Park City, which I'm very happy about. It's been great. I'm, I'm an avid mountain biker, so it's been really fun to be here. Now I have to become an avid you know, and I'm, I'm sort of an avid snowboarder, but uh, I think this year I'm going to pick up skiing and, and really try to take advantage of that as much as possible. Well, I'll tell you, a good time to be out of the city because down here in L.A. at least, it has been crazy. And I imagine New York was probably the same. Yeah, to say the least. And I'm, I'm glad to be here right now. I, it took me a little while to settle in. I, I really love L.A. I really love New York. I love Utah. I just like Utah in doses. You're kind of a high speed kind of guy, you know, high stakes real estate, but high speed personality, you know? So I would wonder if you could actually chill out for two seconds and be in Utah. I mean, I know you've been there for a month or so, or maybe a little longer, but are you getting the itch? You got to get into the city here soon. You got to, do you got to drive somewhere and smell some smog and like, and like see some people honking their horn at you or how does that go down? Dude, totally. Like my wife has a problem with this too. I mean, we've, you know, we've been married for 12 years now and I have moved her, I mean, at least a dozen times in that time. And, you know, we chase opportunities and we chase markets and we chase stuff like that. And it's been really great. And it's given us such a great, you know, experience as far as being in LA and New York and Utah and all those places. But dude, I always have the itch to be somewhere else. I'm never super satisfied with where I'm at. And, and I don't know if that is because I'm a kind of a crazy guy or I just like to keep moving in a direction. You know, I, I'm like a shark. You're like water, you're material. Totally. I like, I, I can't come backwards, right? Like everything's always yeah. got to be forward motion. But I think that what I'm realizing in my older age is that that momentum and and forward progress happens when you really settle down and when you really just get into that grind and that groove and then you can just do it for years at a time. And that's how I think great things are accomplished. And I'm realizing that now. You know, when I was living in New York, I was traveling all over the US developing and 
I took so much time away from my family. Now, like I really am, I'm slowing that down and I'm trying to be in a couple markets. So, you know, as you and I have discussed, you know, I'll be doing stuff in California. We'll be doing stuff in Utah. New York may happen years down the road, but for now I, I like the idea. So I think it's easier for me to consider the fact that I can settle down because I'll be in California and I'll be there probably as much as I am here. And that's probably going to be good enough for the time. being. If you're on the go, somehow living in a quieter place makes it okay when you're coming back home to that. And that's kind of your sanctuary. Now it makes total sense. A hundred percent because being in New York, being in LA, there's such a buzz there. And I love that buzz. But dude, the funny thing is, is like, you know, I would say I'm somebody that suffers with anxiety, but like, I'm a pretty high strung guy. I'm you're high strung. I know that you're I'm very high strung. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing big deals. Like I'm always putting myself under some sort of pressure. And the funny thing is, is being in Park City is that it's chill, man. It's chill. Dude, I, I can mean, imagine. I've never been up there. I've been in Southern Utah, St. George, never been up to Salt Lake, Park City. Definitely on the list. I think it's going to have to go down. We're going to have to do a race down the hill. I'll snowboard, you can ski, snowboard, whatever. We'll have to see who the best man wins there. So what about baby number four, by the way? Not to, not to, you know. Dude, baby number four is uh, definitely going to go down. I, I think baby number six may not, maybe not so much. Really? You're, you're falling yeah, off on me because I'm still like, five. I don't know, dude. It's interesting. Like COVID has brought a different level of awareness to one's life, right? And, and, yeah. and what I mean by that is like, listen, I spend lots of time with my kids. I have, I, I work a lot less. I tell everybody how busy I am and I am busy for certain hours of the day, but really I schedule my life around my kids, not my life, not my kids around my, or I, 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 I schedule my work around my kids and not, not the opposite. Around. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I, I spend a lot more time with them, but the thing is with COVID and being home and, and, and doing a lot more stuff from home, it's just been, it's been tough because what if this happens again, right? Like, like obviously the world has figured out. And, and what I mean by that is, is our adversaries realized how fast it was to shut down the world. And I mean, it happened literally overnight and, and being home with the kids and doing this has been stressful. It's been hard. It's been exhausting to say the least, because we're working, we're on 24 hours now. We don't get a chance to get away and do things. And I don't get away as much as I did before. And, so like the thought of having six kids, dude, is. Can you is, imagine? Like I've got, I've got one and he's six months old. And again, I have a nanny and I, and a, and a fiance and I go to work, you know, to get out of there. And it's still like, when I'm home, I'm over here at like four o'clock going, Should I get some more work done. I love my little man, but Morgan gets home at seven. If I get home now and relieve the nanny, I got three hours of crying baby while I'm trying to get stuff done. Like it's tough and you love them. But I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're a handful. They rely Who on the parents. They are. And, and, and the thing is, is like, I really have this pull to try and be a much more present dad. I probably get 50, 60 phone calls a day. I get hundreds of texts. I get dozens of emails. And to stay off my phone, I mean, it's funny, my baby will grab my phone and throw it down and then come snuggle up next to me. Like he already knows that that, that thing gets in the way. And, you know, I have this great drive to be this great developer and this great, you know, entrepreneur. And yet, I love watching my kids grow up and do their thing. And it's really tough. And I have this real pull where I want to spend time with them, but I want to work. And so lately I've started to really time block, you know, I've read all these books on how to organize your life better. And the fucking books are so complicated that like, I couldn't figure it out anyway, because I'm not a guy that does that kind of stuff. And then you read the, the technical aspect of actually putting these schedules together and there's no way I can do it. So what I've started to do is time block and, just the simple act of time blocking has like changed my whole entire life. Like I really get things done 
a and lot you find that it's easy to stick i mean you and you can because see me i can sit down and decide i'm gonna time block but by day three i've thrown it out the fucking window by day three i'm not even looking at the damn thing anymore i had this whole chart laid out i was gonna track all my hours i was gonna do certain things certain times by day three i'm like uh what's the time block you know but that's the hard to, part is that building that repetition you know totally and i think that what we have to do as well is was like literally like i take a lot of phone calls from a lot of the same people yeah that's, and true. that's not, a good point compressing yeah, into maybe like, a small yeah right like like with you like you and i have like real business like it's very right. advantageous for you and i to be talking and for you and i to be communicating but a lot of these other assholes suck the time out of me constantly because they're calling right. me constantly so what i think i'm going to start to do is like say like a monday wednesday friday i'm going to time block all these things and like literally on a thursday for all the people that call me all the time that want to you know rack my brain for something or ask me this or ask me that or do whatever or take time from me which i love these guys and i don't mind but it's going to be thursday between 10 and 11 o'clock and yeah, yeah. that's it and then if you can't contact me you can't email you can't text because it has to be broken down like that because what i think we find especially you and i who you know we're very self-employed we're productive people that that have a lot of answers we're crazy need those answers yeah. and it's very, <laughs> it's it's very hard to like separate all of that out and Dude, so I'm, I'm telling you, better at it because honestly, like COVID has really showed me where I lack in business, where I lack in family, where I lack in personal, spiritual, you know, all of it. Like it really has, and so it's it's been a, you know, it's obviously been tragic for a lot of people, and it's been tragic for my business to a certain degree. Although yeah. I'm, I'm pulling my myself out of it, but it's really helped me prioritize how to do things differently. So, listen, let me get into at least one of the things I wanted to ask you. Kind of just to jump right into it. Why real estate? I you mean, know, people go to Wall Street, stocks, technology, entertainment. Why are you a real estate guy? Why, why do you choose to operate in that space? For a few reasons. You know, I've been self-employed since I was a sperm. I, I really don't know it any other way. I, you know, I had a few jobs here and there and always got fired from those jobs because I wouldn't conform to the way they thought things that, you know, of their way of doing things. I always thought things could be done better. And, uh, and so that a lot of times that never jived and, and usually I was right about that stuff. It wasn't that I was coming up with some sort of an ignorant, you know, outcome. It was just that I saw certain things that would have been better for the store or for whatever I was doing at that time. And so, so, you know, things lasted for months and that was it. So I always kind of reverted back to what I was doing, but my mom was in real estate and she, she was one of the number one brokers in Utah at the time. So we're, we've been, we've lived, you know, kind of between Utah, California, and New York and she was in it and um, she kind of was the slumlord, if you will, of Provo, you know, BYU. And so I started working on her apartments. I started, you know, we started, we owned a few together, you know, and at that time we, we made some pretty good money on them and then we sold them. And then I got my broker's license in LA, started selling real estate, realized how much I hated being a broker. I hated it with my. It, know, it's competitive in LA, especially. I mean, you're always chasing that deal. And honestly, you can't throw a stick around here without finding 10 people that are realtors. So. 100% and, and you know and with the age of television and Instagram and, and YouTube and all these other things like there are some good brokers out there that love what they do that have you know that really have a corner on the market it's really tough to compete not that you can't but that, to me I just never saw like that ever really panning out right. and um, and and I was a contractor many many years ago and, and I really like that side of things I think that like I just didn't make any sense to me to do like smaller one-offs and so um, uh, so you know I I just decided to kind of take the plunge. I had an opportunity in New York and, and, uh, and, and that's kind of where my career started. But the reason, one of the reasons why I really love real estate is because, you know, you talk about Wall Street, you talk about these things. I always wanted to be a Wall Street guy. I always wanted 
to, to be a fund manager. I always wanted those things. But the one thing that I really wanted was, was an asset that was actually tangible, that was real, and that, had, that could stand the test of time, right? And real estate is that. So for me, I get to be all of it all in once. I get something that, that stands the test of time. I get to be a, a fund manager, and I get to design really cool stuff. And I get to do it in some of the sexiest markets or have done it in some of the sexiest markets in the world. And it's been truly satisfying. Well, listen, tell me about Aaron 20 years ago, before we get into to all the high stake deals in the real estate, what was Aaron doing 20? How old are you, by the way? I was going to ask you that earlier. 46, I think. 46. Dude, you look good for 46. I thought you were actually 43 just because I know you. I mean, if I didn't know you, maybe I would say you're 35 or side. I don't know, but you look good, man. Thanks, man. I think if I shave off the white beard, I look closer to 35. Right. What was, what was the deal with Aaron 20 years ago? What was your thing? Funny thing is, 20 years ago, I was a painting contractor, and and I, we were painting stuff in Utah, you know, some of the temples out here, the okay. airport, malls, you know, big custom type stuff. Hated that as well. Um, didn't really love that. And then ended up getting my, my broker's license in Utah. And that's where the whole real estate thing kind of started. I was married. I got married super young, uh, you know, was divorced a couple of years later. And then it was just kind of the serial entrepreneurship, you know, that kind of took place throughout, throughout, you know, my time before I really became doing what I really love ultimately. You mentioned Utah, uh, painting temples. So, so tell me about being Mormon and, and, you know, I, I grew up with a best friend who was Mormon and I loved Mormon people and I would always go to the temples and, you know, he was kind of a, a slacker, you know, like never really liked it himself, didn't go on a mission. But, you know, we, we were always hanging out. And so we'd go, but I love the Mormon people. But I feel like some, you know, obviously like any religion, th there are some stigmas, right? Um, you know, maybe you're not allowed to have caffeine. I don't know if that's still a thing. If they've gotten to the new age, you know, now, now I things are always changing. But, how, you know, how has that shaped you as a person and a businessman? And are you guys, are you an active uh, member of the, of the, the Mormon lifestyle? You know, this is a loaded question. Right. Uh, and this is something we could literally spend hours and hours <laughs> talking about. Uh, but I will try to break this down under super. Yeah. Listen, my view, when I was 20 years old, I was not, you know, I tried to conform to a belief that I thought was being construed to me. And I was trying to follow something that I didn't quite understand. I'm very grateful that I grew up with Strucker, right? Don't get me wrong about that. My mom was a convert. She was very strict in the whole religion thing. And for me, that didn't work because I, I just, I felt like it was too restrictive. And I don't mean that, that I couldn't go out and have sex with somebody that, that before marriage or I couldn't drink. I didn't look at restrictive that way. It was kind of a mindset that I felt like was a little bit on the restrictive side. That was obviously my ignorant uh, uh, thought about it at the time. Did that push you away from it initially? Is that weird? Like when you coming of age, you were kind of like, okay, kind of like my buddy, you were kind of like, okay, this is, these restrictions were kind of almost pushing me away from the, from the deal. A hundred percent. And, and, and so growing up, you know, I was very rebellious. I, no. I because it, you know, it, it wasn't that I wasn't a good kid. I was always a good kid. I just, to me, like it was really restrictive. It didn't gel with me. And and I didn't understand things. And so, you know, fast forward several years later, you know, and the reason why I got married young was because 
you know, I was promiscuous at the time and I thought that I needed to be married to kind of lock that thing up. And I did that a few times and, and, you know, I've been married, you know, four times and, times. and, and I did that because instead of just dating and being okay with being with somebody, you know, I, I, I felt guilty about it and whatever. And, and so, uh, you know, I didn't understand things. I think fast forward, um, I'm very much into my religion, uh, mm-hmm. but to preface that, you know, the idea that you have to be a part of something to go somewhere, meaning like if the, if, if, if the consensus is you got to be a person of faith to make it to the celestial kingdom, right? right. If that's what's being taught, <clears throat> being a part of the Mormon religion to get to the celestial kingdom never gelled with me. I don't like that. I don't like have to be a part of something to get somewhere. That doesn't make any sense to me because right. when I visualize heaven, I don't visualize I don't visualize like a nightclub with the rope and you're Mormon. I'm not, do we both end up there? We don't, you know, like exactly. Right. A hundred percent. And that's the main issue with a lot of religions, whether it's Catholicism or, or Mormon or don't ask me the other ones. I I can't really name them all, but I know there's a few of them. So, and and I think that, yeah, I don't see religion in heaven. I don't see, I don't see a lot of things in heaven that I think that people do here. And so, um, but I've come to terms with the way that things need to be. We have structure on this earth because if we don't stand for something, we fall for everything, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's heard that saying, and I very much believe that. I am very much a regimented person in my life when it comes to the spiritual side of my life because I feel that that is where I find my strength from. That's where I, I, I pull my strength from, right? Because in this world, there's so many opinions and so much coming at us on a constant basis that if we are not grounded in a belief and a thought, <clears throat> it is very difficult to navigate through, I would say, right and wrong, which the lines are extremely blurred nowadays. Right. And having right. kids, you know, I have three little boys and I want- What to are their names, by the way? You got to tell everybody their names because I think you honestly, you and you and Arian, your lovely wife, I think you guys picked the coolest names ever. No, I appreciate that. Uh, we got Smith, who's the oldest, uh, Harvard, who is the middle, and Steele, who is the youngest. So. Yeah, three little studs. And Smith's doing um, acting, right? I mean, he's been in some commercials. He's, he's, he's already getting his face out there. He's, a, he's an extrovert like dad. Totally. He's done several commercials for, for Snapchat, for Mercedes, for GE, for, for a lot of these guys. He's done very big commercials. He just did a voiceover on uh, Blues Clues, which was awesome because he wow. did Blues. And, and uh, Harvard's a little soccer player, and, and Steele is my little just crazy, keep me up all night long, make me do everything he wants to do. So it's been tremendous, man. I love my kids. They're, they're really great. But, but coming back to all that, I love my kids and I want my kids to have that same structure. So, you know, I do read the Book of Mormon. I read the Bible and I listen to conference talks and I do that stuff religiously without fail. And I pray every single day. And I do that because I believe that we've got the Tony Robbins in the world and we've got the, uh, the, 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 the 10 X guys and the, the, the nine X. Come on. You know, I love my uncle G Grant Cardone. If you're listening, man, maybe when I I get to number 1000 and Grant looks back on this guy, okay, Grant Cardone, come on, baby. 10 X. I love the guy too. But the point is, is like, I think that people miss a very crucial element of life. And that is the spiritual aspect of life. It's very much the crucial part that everybody is missing that brings all of this great knowledge that we have into this world into context and make it flow in a way 
that allows people to understand their destiny a little bit better. I think everybody's just kind of trying to fit in these certain circles and it doesn't work. And everybody in this life, I believe, has a special mission and people need to find out what that is. Other people may call that following passion. Maybe that is what it is. But I think that if we can, you know, the reason why these guys can talk about doing all these things and you for some reason cannot figure out what that thing is, it's because you are missing that spiritual aspect that will allow you to find that new flow that you are so desperately looking for. Right. And, and so I think that religion is such a special part of my life and should be a special part of everybody else's life. But that comes with lots of years of learning to be myself and to understand right. that God does not put us in a shoebox, right? God wants us to be who we are. You know, let's take Joseph Smith, for instance. A lot of people have a lot of problem with Joseph Smith because of a lot of things that they understand or, or that they think or they misunderstand or whatever. But by the way, so for those of us who may not know who Joseph, not that this is, and I appreciate going into detail about this, um, but, uh, but Joseph Smith, that was the founder of, uh, of Mormonism. Is that what it is? Is it, yeah, is so it he was the founder of the, the Church okay. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And, 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 he wasn't a perfect man, but he was a man that was willing to do what it took. And, and I think that when you look at his example and who he was and what he was willing to do and who he was fundamentally as a person, that should give us all great comfort to realize that God is looking for our special talents, not for us to be cookie cutter and perfect. Let me just jump in for a second. I mean, I've known you now for a number of years, and I can say that one of the things that I admire about you is that you do have strong convictions, not even outwardly about, you know, your religion, because you and I don't talk about that a lot, but just the things like your family, your great family, you're the epitome of a great family, man. You love your kids. Like you said, you spend time with them, faithful to your wife. You love her. You guys do everything together. I assume like you are Mr. Family, man. I just love that about you. Like that's how my dad is. And like that, that right there is such a cool thing. I mean, to me, that's, that's how it should be. So I I appreciate that. And I think the world demise is the demise of the family structure, right? You know, we're trying to, we're trying to make it, you know, where dads don't matter and that you don't need a mom and a dad to raise kids and that all this stuff that it's been torn apart and, and our country will fall apart if we don't learn to fix this quickly and being a family man and, and paying attention to your kids and raising your kids and doing the right things. You know, you think it's easy for my wife to stay home with right. the kids. It's not, but you know, I'm blessed tremendously because of it, not just financially, but I have great kids because we, we have this structure and, I do everything I can to keep that structure going and, and to never step outside of that structure or to ever do anything that would ever hurt that structure. Because dude, if you fail at home, no amount of success will ever compensate for failure. In the never home. matter. Yeah. Ever, ever. Yeah. I could care less how many buildings I build, how many people I know, how many things I accomplish. If my kids and my family fall apart, I ain't literally right. accomplish nothing. And I could care less about all that other stuff when it comes to the comparison of my family. So anyway, I think very, very important. To, let you know, let me ask you another. I think I should be doing, I do it because that's who I am. But, but the point is, is that, you know, especially through COVID, I have really calmed it down. Yeah. A lot. I, and I think it's probably been tough on a lot of people. Like we talked about earlier, getting to, to be home all the time, even when you, you know, want to be a good parent, love your kids, like everybody, mom and dad and kids all under the same. Now kids are going to school at home. I mean, whew. again, luckily I have a six month old, so he's not having to worry about school yet. But, Listen, I want to ask you one more thing before we move on to kind of more of the, the real estate side of things. A personal question. How tough was it losing your mom a couple of years ago? I know you were friends. I know you lost your mom a few years back. You mentioned her right out of the gate about real estate, that she was kind of a big part of that. How did that shape you and how has that played a little bit of an impact of what you've been doing since she passed away, which I'm sorry to hear about again? 
Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I think my mom, I think she was ready to die. But, you know, my mom really took on a lot of burden in her life. I think that she was plagued by a lot of things. And that's kind of why I have my my view on religion and the way I do things, because I saw that, you know, it didn't it didn't work for her in a way that relieved her from 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 what I think it's ultimately supposed to do. I think that it was it was it to a certain degree. It was almost a burden. But my mom was a solid person who taught me the fundamentals of life. My mom was a single mom and stayed home with her kids. And we were all raised by our mom. It wasn't like a day I came home from school and she wasn't there. there. You know, she learned to hustle and to make sure she could stay home with yeah. us and, and to make sure that we understood the core values of life. And that's what she taught us. There's two things that my mom always told me and that have stuck with me throughout my life. And I tell my kids is try never could. And, and that might be like a, a maybe not a sentence that doesn't make sense. But basically, I never could. The, it, the, the act of just, I, I'll try, never could actually get it done. Is that is that the idea behind that? Try never could, huh? A hundred percent. And try in our home is a four-letter word. Not that we're hardcore, right. but like trying is a cop out of my sense. Try, like, might, maybe, like have conviction, do it and follow through if you're going to do something. Don't, don't, don't give me the wish. I take try out of my kid's vocabulary. It is yeah. either do or you do not. And what that does is makes you commit to what you're doing. Now, at the end of the day, you can't get it done. You know that you left nothing on the table to get it done. The other thing that she taught me that I really appreciated was to give people their moment in life, to never feel like I need to be right or that my opinion mattered or that, that to not argue with people, but to give them their moment to, if somebody likes something, you didn't have an opinion on what your thoughts were, but that you endorsed what they, what their opinions were, what their thoughts were, what they liked or what they didn't like. It was never like an opposition, right? Like, and, and, and I can have my own opinion, but like we all know an opinions. There's is, something to be said for an opinion, right? Yeah, like, like everybody's got one in a stage, yeah. right? Like yeah. nobody gives a shit about what you think. And so really like the way that I've, I've learned to communicate with the world has been much more of a flow than, than kind of a, you know, an obstacle in somebody's way kind of a thing. So, uh, but she had a great impact on my life. She hustled, um, she did real estate. It was hard sounds like a powerhouse, man. Sounds like a, well, sounds like a powerhouse. It was hard for me to lose my mom in the sense that I wish that she would have been around for my grandkids and that she could see the success that I'm currently experiencing. Except my mom had a very hard time accepting what I was doing currently. And since she's died, you know, in a weird kind of a way, it, I have excelled a thousandfold than I would have if she would have been here because she was always kind of that person on my shoulder who... She never had a lot of confidence in herself, and so it was hard for her to have confidence in me. And and once when you, that, when, when you say that, by the way, just to jump in, what what um what were you doing when she passed away? You mean were you working as a realtor, or you were just starting to raise money and try to become a real estate developer and and do things of that nature? And she wasn't sure if it was steady enough, or what do you mean by that? Right, like she always thought I should have been a doctor. She thought right. I should have been yeah. doing other things, and and so it was always kind of like, well, I want to move to New York. Well, well, that's stupid. What do you, you know, it's cold and. <laughs> you know, it's always had this. It's always just had Corona. Like, yeah. cool with what I was doing, and so when she died, like I just went and did my thing, and I did exactly what I knew I needed to do for myself, yeah. and, and completely excelled at my life. And so, so you know, I, to a certain degree, like yes, I'm a little upset that she passed because she didn't necessarily have to do it. She could have made other provisions to not make that happen. But I think ultimately it was good for us. It was good for the family. It was good for everybody, and I think ultimately good for her. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. Well, God rest her soul. Listen, I want to get into, let's talk about some high stakes real estate deals. So again, I know you a few years back, you were in California. 
crazy California, which we love, but crazy California down here where I am. Um, you left and you made some big things happen on the East Coast. So tell me a little bit about what happened, why you went to New York, uh, what you did out there. Break it down. So I was living in LA. I was a broker, hated it, wasn't making very much money. Honestly, I was making no money. I, I just couldn't figure out how to compete in the market. I just, it was, it, it just eluded me constantly. But what was that, tough? Getting the buyers, the sellers, just, just all around the block was just. All the way around the block. I didn't have enough conviction inside of my heart to really, really go out and chase it the way that I would have done maybe other things. And so when we left to New York, I literally left with nothing. I mean, honestly, like we were just kind of, I was kind of at the end of my rope. I had this opportunity in New York. I knew I just had to take it. We ended up moving. We ended up flying to New York. We had nothing. I'm not kidding. I mean, I'd made a little bit of like headway as far as with some investors and stuff like that, but nothing. I mean, literally. We had be, because see, I, you know, and again, I have the paradigm of like knowing you, like I kind of vaguely remember that, right? Like that was how I felt about it because I knew when you were going there, I'm like, what the hell is Aaron going to New York for? And then flash forward, it ended up working out pretty nicely for you. But okay, go ahead. So you're going to New York. You're like, what? You got a, you got a dream and a little bit of a few bucks in your pocket and a plane ticket or what? I wanted to live in New York my entire life, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and this opportunity came up and I hella chased it. And I remember flying over the world trade center that night and wow. seeing city lights and it changed me fundamentally as a human being. I had actually yeah. done something I wanted to do. By the way, the new trade center, right? I mean, obviously the, the, this is, this is recently, so it's not the old trade center towers, but the new trade center, I, I call it new. I haven't been in New York in a long time, but the, the, the big, tall, sexy, Right. Yeah. yeah. Is it is it still just the trade center? Is that what they call it? No, it's 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 it is. It's one world trade center, but it's also one world trade center. However, okay. you want to look at it. Yeah. Sexy so flying over, flying over it. It was amazing. I mean, I, I will never forget that moment in my life. My wife is scared to tears. We land, we get settled. We, we, we have nowhere to live, by the way. We have no idea what the hell we're doing. We well, have, New York will sell you a place to live if you got enough money. And and so I end up so so we end up moving into somebody's place that had left and we were there for like a month. So I remember one day we're walking around, it's you know, it's like we're only there for like three or four days and it's raining outside and we're toting kids around and and my wife looks at me crying and it's just like, What in the hell? Are you are you kidding me? Like you <laughs> drug me out here to do What are we doing in New York? Yeah, yeah. So we end up finding a place, right? We find a realtor, we find a place, we're about a month in, and this place gives us five months rent free. And it's a brand new building, so expensive, so beyond anything I could afford. But that's Huge rent, but you got five months. After you get past the initial up front, you're like, okay, I'm cool. For, for 150 days, I don't have to worry about this. 100%. So I knew that in that time, I had to get things figured out. So I ended up getting an office at the World Trade Center, funny enough. I was on the 85th Very floor. cool. Unreal, you know, dream of being in New York. I mean, I'm, I'm on the 85th floor. I get to I, see the world. How is that, by the way? Being on the 85th floor of the, of the One World Trade Center, you know, just given the history of that, that site down there, is, well, is that, is that, a, do you feel the energy good and bad being up there on that, on that building when you're up there working at that place? Listen, I have my opinions about what went down that day and they yeah. don't fail with a lot of people, but, uh, but with some people they do, but uh, no. That's impactful you know, nonetheless being up there, right? I mean, it's, it's scary. I mean, but yeah. you know, I think that that stuff, you know, I, I think that was, I, I think that that building going, those buildings going down was much more intentional than anybody realizes. Right. And so being up there, I wasn't like, I felt like that was going to happen again, but funny enough, a lot of people live in fear and they thought that that was going to happen. A lot of people like, I cannot believe you're in that building based off what happened. I was like, listen, that was a one-off. Like, like right. that was something that was 
you know, a lot more intentional than people realize. And so I think that being up there for me, like it was energetic, it was beautiful, it was unreal. Yeah. And it, it was, it was, it was unreal. And, and from that point, my business just basically took off. I scrambled, I, I, I mingled with everybody I possibly could. Uh, I ended up getting a little bit of money from an investor. We put uh, a deposit down on our first property. I ended up meeting this group. But uh, uh, by, by the way, just so I can back up for just two seconds. So, so the opportunity that you flew out there for, was that a real estate opportunity? Was that a... Yeah, so we went out there. So, so I met somebody uh, through you, as a matter of fact, and he ended up saying, hey, let's go out to New York and let's do this deal. He was already out there doing it. And so I went out there and, and, uh, and, and, and we kind of partnered up to a certain degree and it was to do the old brownstones in Brooklyn is what it was doing. So these, we had, a, we had kind of a model, which was a four story, you know, old town home, whether it was 17 feet wide or 20 feet wide, but it was what you saw basically growing up on, on, uh, uh, Sesame street kind of a thing. Got you. So you're, so you realize that somebody that we mutually know is out there in New York and he's what managing construction and so your idea is to go out to new york see if you can get some investor money and start buying some of your own house flips house build brownstone builds is that kind of the general idea absolutely and so that's exactly what we did well in the beginning we were going to auctions we were trying to figure it out and so finally we just ended up getting a uh finding a good realtor out there who uh ended up helping us find the right kind of properties we we got our first property into escrow and then while we had that property in escrow, we met uh, an investor group and that investor group, we went out and bought a whole bunch of them and, um, you know, started construction right away and, and, and really got on top of it. And, you know, we were obviously met by all the challenges that come with building New York, but, uh, but so, uh, and one of the things I want to ask you about, you know, and, and this is a big subject to unpack as well, but just kind of starting to dive in a little bit is, is you know, to people that might be listening, right? And they go, okay, so you go to New York, you, you, you know, you, you make some, some connections on the construction front, um, you decide you're going to buy some property, and then you meet an investor group and start buying, right? So walk me through the, I met an investor group and start buying, because a lot of people I feel like go, especially if they're not used to raising money or working in development, they go, how do I just find an investor group and raise money? How does that work? What do I pitch? What do I offer? Do I have to have a license to do that? you know, how, how do I have the confidence to go to an investor group and start raising money, um, especially if I don't have a track record or if I'm not already building? Like, what was that like to just, what, what do you think allowed you to, and kind of unpack that a little bit? Well, first off, I've been in and out of construction most of my life, you know what I mean? And, and surrounded by real estate. So, so understanding that part of it and, and having a track record, I had a, you know, a, a sort of a track record anyway that, you know, that, that we kind of had, it wasn't established as I'd like it to be, but with John who was out there with us, he, he, he had the track record. He had helped uh, another guy that he was kind of sort of partners with finished a bunch of properties out there. And so, so basically what we did was, was we put together a private placement memorandum, uh, EPM. Okay. EPM, which is extremely vital. You have to have that kind of stuff. And what we did is we had, and, and the way that the wording happened inside the PPM was, was that we were able to use the uh, team's track record. And that's what we did. So we just pulled it from wherever my track record, their track record, everybody. And we were all, uh, the team was based off of the, the PPM and that's how we basically did it. Now, as far as finding investor groups, I found my investor group in the, in the World Trade Center. That's how we did it. We met one guy who was a banker and who was working kind of on his own and he knew this group and this group came in and they met with me once and they loved me. They loved my concept. They loved my vision. They loved everything that we were doing and instantly we filled out paperwork and it was up and running overnight. 
And I mean, literally it was that fast. What, what, what was that like, by the way? What, what was that like when, when you go with the group and then you're filling out paperwork and all of a sudden they're like, hey, Aaron, you know, we're ready to go. I mean, and by the way, how much money did they set aside for you to get going? I mean, there was no limited amount, right? Like, I mean, gotcha. no, I mean they spent, they spent, uh, spent $3.6 million with me right out of the gates. Wow. You know? Like right out of the gates. And, wow. And, and then we ended up going to California and we, you know, and we were going to, we were going to ultimately end up looking at Utah, but our dealings were mostly with New York and, and with Los Angeles. And so, but it was crazy, dude. Like it was a crazy time. I remember working 20 hours a day uh, because wow. we were creating paperwork and we were figuring things out. And I, you know, I had a couple of people working for me and, and it was nonstop. And, you know, my wife will tell you, she didn't see me for two years. Like I lived at the World Trade Center. And when I wasn't at the World Trade Center, I was in California or I was in Utah or I was somewhere else. I was flying all over the place. I was on an airplane constantly and it was brutal. I mean, it was so brutal, but I, you know, but the funny thing is, is like, is that, is that it was an exciting time and I loved every single moment of it. I missed my family, but this was an opportunity for me to finally do something that I loved so much and felt so much passion for and understood how to do, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of us strive at a lower level and the moment we, overachiever we have a goal that's so big and so high and so out of our reach is when we realize that we are actually the most effective people like i'm you know listen i've lived off and on in utah and everybody always came to me with like network marketing right and they always wanted me to go sell these packages that were 150 bucks a month and i could never do it because it was it wasn't because i didn't know how to do it it was because i didn't understand that level so when i started buying three four five six million dollar ten million dollar homes is when like I started to like gel with who I really was. become yourself and fall into your groove. Yeah. Only because that was the level I was comfortable at. I wasn't comfortable at lower levels. You know, I don't know if I'm comfortable at a really, really high level because I haven't, I haven't gone there yet, but I like the level that I'm at. And, and, and it was funny how well and fast it came together. To do that. And you and I were just talking about that the other day, you know, we're, we'll, we'll talk about this, you know, later in the, in the episode here, but we were talking about, you know, some lots that we're looking at out in the Coachella Valley, Palm Springs area. Right. And I think we're looking at a couple of sites that are 20, 20 home sites and 40 home sites and whatever. And you said to me, I'm going to put a hundred lots in escrow so that I can go get the financing for it. And we're going to start with a hundred lots. And I said, you know, that's a, that's a hell of a way to think, you know, and, and I think you had the comment of sometimes contrary to what people might think, it's actually easier to get financing. It's easier to get loans and investor money to get your, your financing together for larger projects versus small. And, and, and by the way, why do you think that is? Because it doesn't sound like that's how it should be. But, but what you're basically saying is it would be easier to go out and get financing for $10 million or $20 million of property that you're buying in New York versus if you had like a, a, a remodel flip in Queens you wanted to do for $300,000. I think there's two answers to that. Number one, I could not take myself serious if I was asking for $300,000. I don't know how to pay $300,000, but that seems lame. And I can't imagine the person on the other end is like motivated to make, right. you know, one or two points off of $300,000. Like, right. But, you know, I think that when you ask for large numbers, it, it, number one, you obviously need to know what you're talking about or people perceive that you know what you're talking about. And number two, and I'm talking lenders mostly, you know, lenders, they want to make money. And the bigger the deals are, the harder they work, funny enough. And so the more money they bring in for, for getting and, and those dude, deals. When I talk about doing 10 to 15 to $20 million deals, I light up. I can sell the hell out of that. I know exactly how to put that stuff together because that's what I, because I feel legit when I come across like that. But if I'm trying to pitch some stupid deal that's a couple hundred thousand bucks, which I would never do, by the way. Right. I could just never do it, but it's funny how that works. So, so anybody out there that thinking that they need to be small and that that's the way you start, 
That's bullshit. Like the way you start is you go big. That's what you do. Dude, I'm telling you. And, and, and again, you know, I love uncle G and we were talking about that earlier too, that, that Grant Cardone, you know, I watch his videos and his content. He's always saying that like, dude, that's why I buy a hundred million, 200 million, 300, 400 unit complexes because it's easier to finance than going to buy a fourplex. You know, people look at that and go, yeah, right, Grant, you got to put $80 million down payment. But he's like, so what? You know, the financing is easier. I can get the $80 million. The deals make more sense. I can pay property managers. I can pay attorneys. Everybody's motivated. They make more money, you know, and, and, it, and it kind of registered with me because that's exactly what you keep touching on. I don't, I don't get out of bed unless the deal's big. Otherwise, I'm yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I think that if you're not constantly reaching for the stars, like, what are you doing? What are you, you know, doing? Yeah. Doing? You know, now yeah. I understand that not everybody works at that level, but for me, that's the way it works. But I think we all need to stretch to a certain degree because that really arouses something inside of you that that maybe wouldn't happen otherwise. I think that's the takeaway, right? It's not like that somebody can't go buy a $300,000 house or whatever the case may be for them if they're starting or they like a certain, maybe if they're going to buy a $300,000 house, they should buy a hundred of them. You know, I guess what you're saying is push, push. Don't, don't just go in apathetically and say, okay, I'm going to start at this level. Push yourself aim big because then if you don't hit that number you're probably gonna hit something hell of a lot bigger than if you had started and just said hey i'm gonna go do this one over here yeah when i try to put a deal together when i just i'm like our like our current goal right now between you and i right i want i want to have 200 homes built or being started built in the next 12 months and we want 100 homes in escrow in the next you know or lots that we can that we can do in the next two to three months and we want that because we want that push to create that momentum and that momentum, because what happens when you're really pushing for the, especially in the very, very beginning, the bigger the deal is you push so hard and that deal pays off over time because all the people that said no, or all the things that didn't come together, start to come together at some point. So the harder you push in the beginning makes everything in the future much, much easier. And so I, I love that. So I really create a lot of buzz around that and th that stuff starts to come around and, and, and those investors come around you know, as time goes on kind of a thing. So, so tell me, and it's something on my mind, but tell me about, I want to hear about a high stakes deal. I want to hear about a high stakes, a New York, a gritty, it could be Utah or LA. I want to hear about a high stakes deal since that's the name of our podcast, but a high stakes deal that you've been involved in where maybe you gave a big deposit that you were going to lose, or you had an issue, um, you know, with a partner, if that's something you can talk about, or, or even just a deal that wasn't supposed to happen because maybe there were, you were one of 10 buyers or you almost didn't get something done or the city was coming down. I mean, tell me about a, a tough deal and how you got through it or, or, or what you guys did to kind of run through it like a bulldozer, because I know you run through stuff like a bulldozer. So give well, me something. Well, listen, is there one deal or is it, or is it a, a, a few deals or, you know, what is all, it? all of my deals have all been difficult. I can tell okay. you that right now. And it's because I find unique deals that, that maybe somebody else wouldn't want because of certain reasons, or it's got hair on the deal. I love deals with hair on them because there's a lot of weird negotiation that could happen there because their only option is me. So that gives me, that gives me a lot of room to negotiate. When you but, say hair, just to jump, when you say hair, you mean, you mean a deal that might have a problem with it. It might have a reason why another buyer either can't do it or won't do it or doesn't want it. There's something unattractive about the deal that makes it difficult. And because of that, that's the opportunity for you to go into it. Right. So, so I could give you a couple scenarios, but, 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 but we'll, we'll do one of my houses in Park City. So I kind of had this thought about going up and looking at this house. I'd stared at this house for a year, been on the market for a year. And I just kept looking at it and I never really did anything. And I was driving down the Canyon. I landed in Utah. I was driving down the Canyon and I just had this like feeling to go look at this house that I'd been staring at for years. So I went up there and looked at it. and was like, Oh my gosh, this is a great house. 
come to find out that this guy had been something he did something in his marriage he shouldn't have done right and and so that was his dream house and his wife said look you want things to work out you sell that house and we, we we move back to where we're from and you have to sell that house well this house is massive and beautiful and gorgeous and has high ceilings and it really has this aspect of a lot of stuff you don't see here in Berk City. How big, by the way? It's 8,000 square feet. Woo! But That's it's sexy. not so much the 8,000 square feet as it is the way that the house is put together. It's 20 foot ceilings up and down. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's an 8,000 square foot four bedroom house, right? Like, wow. so it's just open space. And, and, um, and I put $375 down on that house. That's how I did the deal. I Three, wait, 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 wait. So it's an 8,000 square foot house. How much are you buying it for? Two million. And you put how much down? $375 on this house. 375, could be a $2 million house. Most of the time someone would say, okay, you gotta give me a, a 20, 40 or 60,000, call it a $50,000 deposit, right? I mean, that's, that's normally what a seller or a realtor. So, so you go in with, with uh, the price that's probably less than buying like some new Nikes, $375. So, so what, how, does that, how does that happen? I figured out how to do this deal pretty much 100% financing. And the way that we did this deal was this house had a lot of liens. The house was halfway finished, by the way. So this house has like several liens. The what seller, kind of contractor liens that didn't get paid or something like that? A lot the of seller. stuff that didn't get paid. Gotcha. A, lot of, a lot of hair. A lot of hair on this okay. deal. Okay, hairy. And um, so what I ended up doing was getting on the phone with the seller, you know, through my agent. And we ended up, you know, coming up with, with, with kind of some terms, the way we were going to work the deal out. And I said, look, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, and I got my lender on board to do this whole thing. I mean, I, I want to, I, I, I want to say how I did this deal, but not to discriminate myself too much. And, hey, listen, it's all good, man. Just, just tell us what you can. We just want to know was, a little bit it about it. You don't have to go I into this, this else, little sausage room story with us, you know, I, I like have, a little sausage, but you can keep some of the sausage on your side. It's all good. <laughs> there's, there's, plenty, <laughs> there's plenty on this side, just so you understand. <laughs> um, uh, but uh but basically we found somebody to, to come in with the down payment. We found somebody to, and what I, and that's not part of the 300. It was the way that the, the way that the down payment had to work. The lender was on board. We, what we did was we assumed all of those, those liens. And, um, and then on the day of closing, the seller basically said no, because this guy's a hard negotiator. And, and it took, it took 10 hours to close this deal at the closing table because I had, because him and I went back and forth. I mean, this was, the way that him and I went back and forth was something you would see out of television. And finally, at the end of the day, I ended up getting what I wanted. We ended up closing on the house and that house will sell for 6 million bucks at the end of the day. And it was one of the more interesting creative deals that I've ever had to do, but there had, there was so much that had to go into it. I had to get lenders on board. I had to get, I had to get all the liens on board. We had to negotiate all of the stuff in this dude's storage unit that he had for the thing. Being a real estate guy like you, like, you know, I kind of understand the way it all works. And someone who's watching us who may not, you know, be in that mix, right? It's almost like when you're a real estate developer, you're a choreographer, like you are, uh, uh, or, or an orchestrator, right? Your, your job is to make sure that all these, all the minutia, all the movie pieces, legal, financing, city, plans, construction, this, that, your team, that everything stays together on this nice little conveyor belt to get down to the closing. And there's so many things that can go wrong. And oftentimes do, especially when you have personalities of people that want to, you know, negotiate and do different things. And that is what makes a great real estate developer is somebody that can keep all that stuff together and keep the eye on the prize and get it to the finish line. Right. Dude, 
the biggest mistake that somebody will ever make is taking would be taking me out of a project because there is literally 1 million moving parts and you can't just walk in and take over. This is accumulated over months and months and months of doing a project. I mean, there's so many things that are going on. I mean, you know, there at any given time, there is 500 different things going on with the project and you have to know where you're at all the time. And I keep everything inside my head. And, and it's true. Like, you have to know how to finance. You have to know how to talk to the bank. You have to know how to talk to the contractors. And, and you have to, to bring this deal together was something that was way beyond me. But I knew I needed to buy that house, so I bought that house. And it was funny to watch the chips fall into place. But that doesn't mean that you don't work and have to be creative and have to come up with all these different ways of doing things. Because part of those liens and everything were helping me with the down payment of the house itself, right? So, mm -hmm. so I had to assume all of these other debts and all the other hair that was already on the property to make that property come together. So that was probably the hairiest deal. And I wish I could explain a little bit better, but for, for, for all intents and purposes, I can't. But, but it was one of the most creative deals I did. And, all, and, and out of pocket, it came out with 375 bucks. That was all I came out of pocket. Dude, that's, and, and that's amazing. I mean, it's just- I didn't have any investors involved in that property. So, you know- uh, now I involve my investors in those properties because I want everything to be, you know, I want, I want my assets to, to, to be able to always cover whatever we have in this, that ways go, you know, as far as, as far as their money goes, we want to protect that. But it was one of those deals that I have to bring a dollar in for really. So it was, it was, it was really amazing. It was a lot of fun. So, so where do you have real estate right now? So you've been buying in New York, you're in Utah. I know you've got what, you've got three, three sites there. You've got some sites in LA. Tell me about your portfolio at the moment. Yeah, so we sold one of our properties in Park City, which was in Old Town, Park City. It was an 1890 house, which was super bitching. We sold that. We currently have the, the other two, the big one, and then another one that's on Park Avenue, which is on the way up. Uh, Park Avenue, is it's, the, the house is right across the street from Park City parking lot, basically. Um, and um, it's going to be a 6,000 square foot house, which will be the biggest house on the block. Uh, as a and these houses are tremendous for Airbnb. These houses bring in three, $400,000 a year. Wow. standpoint and this is going to be more of a not necessarily an end user and then uh, park city or the other house is obviously an end user it's a big eight thousand square foot house and then in la we've got which brandon's building for me in la um uh on sunset plaza you know we pick very specific places you know sunset plaza is one of the most famous streets if not the most famous street besides where they in los angeles in right los angeles. the other house that we have there is in uh is in the bird streets and then, uh, and then everything else is in Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights in Brooklyn. So for those of us who want to know, what's the number, man? What's, what's your big dog number on that? What is that portfolio worth? Let's say finished, finished exit value on all that stuff. What are those worth? I think last time we checked, it was like 45 million. Woo! Man! Which was very, very quick because the 45 million, you know, it, it only took me a couple of years to get to that point. So the goal obviously is more, right? Of course. So, so how does that feel when you're Mr. $45 million man of, of real estate you control and, and the missus is like, damn it, Aaron, go, go get those dishes, pick up the kids. You're being a jerk off right now. Like, like, does that cut you down a little bit? Cause I know Aaron must, she's a strong one. She's got to cut your ass down once in a while. I mean, I would too. So, so uh, what's the juxtaposition on that, on that whole thing? <laughs> it, it wouldn't matter if I own all of New York city, my wife would care less. My wife, I'm the high maintenance one in the relationship. Yeah. My wife is just put her head down work she's quiet i love her to death we say we hang out every single night she could care less what i own if i'm not doing my duties cool. at home it doesn't make any difference because it doesn't no matter, matter yeah no matter nice car she drives or credit cards or whatever she has she doesn't care about that stuff she cares about you know me being at home so yeah it's always a humbling situation and i think that's the way i think it's the way it, it should be right yeah.
So, so how did you tell me about selling sunset? So, uh, I'm sure most people watching know what selling sunset is. It's kind of like the million dollar listing. It's a Netflix series. Uh, what Oppenheim group on sunset near the sunset Plaza house. So you've been on that show and will probably continue to be on that show as far as some of the other uh, shoots that they've been doing that you're being featured in. How'd you get on the show? What do you think? Um, tell me a little bit about that. So Jason and I met a while ago, good guy, uh, met him through my designer um, and a previous client. We ended up buying the Dohini property together. And then uh, a few months later, he, he called me and he's like, I got a property. I want you to buy it. I'll put you on Selling Sunset. There now, understand that I didn't buy the property to be on Selling Sunset, although that was a little bit of a, a nice plus, right? Yeah, but I bought that property because I knew that property. That property had been around for years and... And when I looked at it before, it was more expensive and it wasn't, and it wasn't uh, ready for permits. And so when I finally did come in to buy it, the market had climbed a little bit. There was more demand and the permits were there. Plus, I got to be on Selling Sunset. So, so that's how that whole thing started. Um, what, 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 do you think about, what do you think about being on TV? You like it? It was something I've always wanted to do. And dude, listen, you know, I'm fairly inspired by Selling Sunset. I love that stuff. It, it, you know, it, it very much like it always kind of resonated with me. And and you know, I always wanted to be on television in some way, shape, or form. And you kind of got that look, man. You kind of got the the Vin Diesel, the something going on, you know. So you got that. Take off your hat real quick. You got the bald head. Come on, show us the head. There you go, dude. You got that movie star look. Come on, man. You should be on TV. Oh well, listen. I appreciate that. It was one of those bucket list things that I got to do with it. It was really fun. I thought, you know, I thought I did okay. I was on one episode, and then they're gonna follow me through the rest of the rest of the house. That house and and doing some stuff. We, we ran into a few snags with the city on that house. And so it's taken a little bit longer to get going on it. There was some, some permitting issues that we needed to fix up and a few things that were, you know, that were there as far as, as, as uh, asbestos and stuff like that. So now that all that stuff's through the city where we're building and we should be filming on it sooner or later. So it was exciting. I love it. Dude, listen, I would love to be on a little bit more of these shows. I'd love to be some sort of a guy who can show people how to buy real estate in a way that that I don't know if anybody else has been able to do and to build that portfolio as fast as I did. Um, you got a hell of a story to tell, man. You something should I'd be. like to help other people learn how to do, you know, because yeah. it, that's the part you care about the most is what you can kind of get back. So you should, you should make like the, the shark tank, but for real estate development, you know, people can like come it. pitch their deals. You can tell them what to do. I don't know. I'm just saying. If I have any niche in the market, it is simply finding really unique good deals for whatever reason. And so I can pick those things out hundred miles away. Which, which is what I was just going to mention is that your real estate portfolio, what you've always gone after and you kind of touched on it is really kind of a class property or, or, or high end residential in this, in these class A markets, right? You're in park city, you're in, in the best part of LA, you're in New York city. So that's kind of always been your thing. So looking forward, what type of real estate are you most excited about? Are you, are you continuing to buy high end residential? You know, where do you see yourself? You've mentioned all the, the home sites that you want to go uh, pick up. We're going to hopefully be doing a lot of that together. But are you making a shift in your business model? Are you con continuing to do the high-end residential in these Class A locations? Or, or where's your head with all that? You know, it's really interesting that I, I really felt inspired to come to Utah. And it's funny to watch how that has panned out over the last year with COVID and everything. Park City is literally the number one market in the entire world right now. And it's because people can come here because it's a different political environment. Uh, it's very job friendly. We have Silicon Slopes. We have, you know, uh, Adobe and the NSA. And I mean, the list goes on and on Facebook and Google. And I mean, everybody's here and it's growing out of control. 
And now with COVID, Park City real estate has literally jumped 40%. And everything that was on the market for years is, is off the market now. And so like, it's a really interesting market. And how long that's going to continue, I don't know. I think the buying and everything right now is very much on the emotional level. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, after the election and after that kind of that thing settles down. But moving forward, yeah, I'll do custom homes if, if there's a market for it, if I could find a good deal. But really... Uh, uh, condos, townhomes, and track homes. That's where the, that's where it is. Southern California, Utah, that's the next market. And that is the market that 100% needs to be concentrated on. Not hotels, not high rises, uh, not, uh, not custom homes necessarily, not uh, apartment complexes. So you're talking about more bread and butter, middle class, if you will, but not necessarily, but kind of that middle class um, housing like DR Horton or some of these builders would build, townhomes, et cetera but you see it as an opportunity to what, to give people that need home ownership a chance. And in the sense that, you know, because all we hear is the shortage of housing, right? We know that um, the average person isn't out buying a three or four or $5 million home. Lots of people in LA certainly are, that's fine. But the point is, is that you're starting to make a shift to say, okay, I'm going to go into building track homes and these townhomes and these condos that are maybe at 400,000 or 600,000 and what provide housing more to the masses and kind of do a, more of a scale play. Is that kind of what you're looking at? So this is merely my observation okay. and in this maybe is, is true. Maybe it's not true, but I think with COVID what people realize is that the world can change instantly. And I think these people that are living beyond their means are now moving to places where they don't have to live beyond their means. And I'm talking the four or five, six, $700,000 houses or that three or $400,000 condos. I think that there is this massive shift out of these major cities and these major places, uh, especially with, with, uh, with stay at home, you know, workforce, right? Like why the hell would you live in, in the Valley and spend a million and a half dollars for a house when you can move to the desert and live in that exact same house, brand new, much nicer, nicer community, everything, 500 grand. Why would you do that? If you're going to work from home, why not chop your, you know, your, your overhead by a million dollars or, or five or $6,000 a month in income based off of what's taking place. So I see this massive, massive shift to that area. That doesn't mean there's not wealthy people. They're not still out buying custom homes, but that's great. If I find a good deal, I'll go that direction. But I think the masses are moving in this direction. And this is the place that developers need to seriously think about moving. Well, and to me too, it's also about the guy or the gal who's paying you know, it could be $1,800 a month, it could be $3,000 a month, but they're in LA somewhere, the pand pandemic's going on, all kinds of craziness, everybody's worried to get sick, protests, and you know, nothing wrong with that, but then when some of them gets a little out of hand, and traffic, and just all the crazy stuff going on, um, what about the person who's like, I'm paying $2,500 a month, I'm in some little apartment, I'm surrounded by everybody in this, in this dense city, craziness going on, I'm going to take that same $2,500 a month conceptually and go out to Indio or Corona or these outlying areas and buy that house where I can get a backyard and a pool and I can have some space and I can, and I can probably have a mortgage payment that's the same, maybe in some cases less, right? To me, that's also another big driver potentially for what you're talking about. 100%. I don't think people want to live in cities where their public servants are not doing their job the right way. And so they got to move somewhere else. It's a lot less prone to whatever they're neglecting. They're less affected by the decisions that other people make because they have a lot more of their own space. Is that kind of what, yeah. Totally. I think that, I think that people are scared. I think people want safety for their children and these other places are much safer. The deserts, you know, to a certain degree is safer. I think that living in LA or New York or in these places is really scary, Seattle, whatever it is. And, and so, and so people are definitely shifting to these other areas. I mean, dude, the reason why this big 
the reason why people are flooding into Utah, and I mean flooding into Utah, is because we can put our kids in school for full time. It's amazing, you know, and nobody's yeah. getting COVID. Nobody's doing those kinds of things. And so, yeah, dude, I just think, listen, my opinion, and it's only that, or my observation is that these big cities are done. And I mean, Done. Which, which, by the way, it kills me because, see, I, I, you know, I've never lived in New York, but growing up, I love New York. It's always been my fantasy. I tell Morgan all the time, like, we're going to go live in New York for a year. I love San Francisco. My brother's up there. He's just outside the city, but he used to live in the city, and we go up there and hang out in San Francisco. Um, I lived in downtown LA. Now I'm in West Hollywood, but the point is, is that, dude, I love the city, but then there's a part of me that's just like, man, right now it's hard. It's a hard place to live, to, to love, you know, and it I think is, that- Maybe bigger picture, when the prices come down the cities and things get cleaned up a little bit, maybe that's when we guys like us that do love the city go back in and we buy at the right price and kind of do a reset. Maybe the cities need a reset to some degree, you know? Dude, listen, my heart breaks over what's taking place right now. I mean, in so many ways you can't even imagine. Like yeah. the thought of life changing is beyond, is almost beyond anything I want to even think about. It is hard for me. I love New York. I love LA. I love San Francisco. I love these areas with, yeah. with, my, with my soul. I mean, I really, really do. But make no mistake about it that this is cyclical and there will be opportunity in LA, San Francisco, and New York. And guys like right. us, if we work real hard, we are going to reap some massive, massive benefit off of that in the future. And so back into those now, totally. The focus needs to be doing what is popular right now. So that when, when those opportunities come back up on these awesome, terrific, amazing cities that we love, we can now go into them again. We can do it for half the price, make twice the money, and enjoy all of it it has to enjoy but in a much different way because things have changed and so so right now it's, it's about taking a step back understanding that this is how life goes and and finding the opportunities outside of that for now and then waiting for those opportunities to come back because it's going to come back in a way in my opinion will be bigger than anything we've ever seen but it is going to be it's going to take some time and it may take a little bit longer time this time around it's going to be an interesting ride there's so many things going on hopefully 2021 is a, it's a, it's a much different year so, hey, listen, I, I do want to, I know we're kind of running out of time. I do want to uh, maybe selfishly plug myself. You and I know each other. Um, for those of, of, of you guys watching that don't know, I have a commercial uh, building company. We're a general construction company. We also do some of our own real estate development. We've got a real estate brokerage, so uh, multifaceted. But, but Aaron, if somebody was to ask you why they should work with Brandon, or why they should work with Inland Builders, or why you choose to, because we're out doing deals, right? We're going to be doing quite a bit together. We're already doing stuff together. Um, what, what would you say? Listen, I have learned very much the hard way how to find the right people. That is one of the hardest thing in developing. Funny enough, like getting millions of dollars together so I could buy this stuff was the easy part. Literally, the hard part was finding the right people to do the job, because I can tell you, I've had to fire a lot of people, and they've cost me a lot of money, and it's been a real pain learning how to do this stuff. Uh, the reason why I chose Brandon, I've known Brandon for, I think we've known each other for 12 or 13 years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you're like a brother, right? Like I hold a special place in my soul for you. And, 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 I, but I, I think that has nothing to do with business, right? The fact is that I really appreciate about you. And the reason why I am so excited about partnering up with you is that your attention to detail is something that like, because Brandon really focuses that the great thing about Brandon it very much about you is that you are multifaceted of a human being you have you have this ability to be this very extroverted you know personality right but the other side of you is this very meticulous I've never seen some asshole write an effing email that's 16 pages long. <laughs> 
and you get busted you write out long emails sometimes. <laughs> you get yes and no answers for me, and that is it. Oh, if you get that, you're lucky. Oh, but with Brandon, like you, you very much know how to pay attention to the details, but yet have this big personality that people can really get along with. But you're strong, but you know when to be humble. And and the detail that Brandon has brought to the table has saved me literally hundreds of thousands of dollars off of previous bids that I had because they were able because they're good at what they do. They have so much experience and 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 so much time on their on their side that they were able to see things that other people weren't able to see. And so because of that, uh, any time that was lost at the city is now going to be made up through uh, you know uh, through a different course of action that that's going to cost a lot less money and time uh, as far as that whole thing goes. So so I think working with you guys. Um, I'm very excited about, by the way, it took me a long time to, to talk Brandon into working with me, uh, you know, because of the stuff I wanted him to do, but, you know, as far as like kind of shifting his business model, but I think ultimately we're going to get back into that business model anyway. But, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of what it comes down to is, is that. Peter and I appreciate that. And, and I have to tell you, I'm super excited. I know we've got, um, we've got a lot of business in the pipeline right now together. Very excited about these hundred or 200 lots. We're going to try to get off the ground here shortly. And, um, you know, like I said before, you were definitely my first choice for podcast number one. And, and I hope that uh, you can come back for number 100 uh, and then maybe 1,000. Maybe, maybe number 1,000 we'll do on our jet, you know, at that point. Maybe we'll wait. Maybe, maybe even Uncle G will be on the jet with us. So we'll, we'll see. But uh, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do. It's going to be fun. And, um, no, man, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I, I really do. Thank you. Thanks for having me, dude. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's always fun. I mean, Brandon and I talk like this every day, anyway. So for it's us, a normal conversation fun. for us. This could have been on the phone, and it, and it probably would have been just as long. Totally, totally. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that will conclude the high stakes deals podcast number one. Appreciate you, and uh, we will see you soon. Love you, baby. We'll talk. All right, soon. man. Love you too. Later. Bye. Bye.